Welcome to the podcast of Lifehouse Church Adelaide. We hope that this message inspires you. To find out more about our church, our locations, or our teams, head to lifehouse.global. Now, enjoy this message from one of our amazing teams. important. You know, the role of a father or a father figure is invaluable in a person's life. And I've got a quote here. It says, research shows that children with fathers who balance sensitivity and warmth with discipline and structure are less likely to have emotional and behavioural issues. These children are more likely to do well socially, academically, relationally and developmentally. So being a dad, having a father figure that's significant in our lives is so important. But I, th- I think it's impossible to do any of those things without love. We need love to be a great dad. The best thing a dad can do is to be filled with love and give out of love. So this morning, my message, um, I'm going to give you just a couple of uh, punchy thoughts and then I'm going straight for your heart. You ready? So I'm going to give you some stuff that's going to help all of us in the room. And then I believe God wants to deposit something into every single one of us as we head out into our world today. So can I pray for you? Heavenly Father, Lord, just speak to us. Lord, whether we're in this space for the first time, whether we even know you, Lord, today, may may this word just speak to our hearts and activate us in Jesus' name. So we need to be led by love. Led by love. And you know what? Um, Dads, if you're a dad in the room, you're awesome. Can I just tell you right up front, I'm cheering for you. I think you're amazing. And the first thing you need to do is love you. Be proud of you. You are doing a great job. You are raising children, raising um, families in in an era and a generation where family is not celebrated. You're raising children in an era where it's not easy. It's not just everything's as it was long ago. So you've got to back yourself. Right up front, I want to tell you, I love you. I think you are awesome. We all make mistakes. None of us are perfect. But you're awesome and I celebrate you. You know what? Richard... My husband is very good at, um, I see him in the mirror. He's like, you're a great guy. I don't care what they say, you're a great guy. And honestly, and sometimes I'll be like, honey, please, I've asked you 10 times the bin. He goes, I don't care what you say, I'm a great guy. I'm an awesome guy. And you know what? He backs himself. He believes in himself. And come on, we've got to do that. We need self-belief. Then... We can love our families. We have to believe in ourselves. So then we can love our families. How? How do we do this? With time. Love with time is one of the most powerful things. You know, putting, not answering a phone call is very powerful for our children. When they see us leave the phone and not answer a phone call. Putting your computer away so that you're actually present to listen to the conversation that's going around. Being present, time, love with time. Even our young adult kids, you might be a grandparent and you might have adult children in their 30s and 40s. They still need your time. They still value your time. You know, one of the things that Richard always did was to tell a story from his mouth. 
what would this be? It sounds a bit strange. But um, with our kids when they were little, I would read them books at night. Every night we'd go to bed, they'd pick a book. But that was only because he didn't have time to tell them a story from his mouth. Their favourite thing was him coming in and he would make up these extravagant, crazy stories to teach them a moral value, to teach them um, like not to steal or to teach them not to be bullied, how to be kind, Um, what does it mean to love Jesus? But he would come up with these stories that helped our kids to understand that. And sometimes I'd come in and it'd take like half an hour, 45 minutes, he'd still be going. I'm like, honey, please. And they'd be crying. Oh, mom, you don't. The poor, these imaginary stories he would tell from his mouth. But it took time. So loving our kids with time is really valuable. Loving with grace. First Peter chapter 4, verse 8 says, Above all, love each other deeply, because love covers a multitude of sins. We're not going to get it all right. None of us, even in our friends, our work relationships, our, you know, no matter what relationship we have, we're never going to get it all right. But love, if we can function out of love, it covers a multitude of sins. First Corinthians 13, 7. Love never gives up, never loses faith is always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. Give your kids some space. You know, forgive them. Overlook their failures. They're not going to get it all right. Love gives them room. Love gives others in our relationships room to not always get it right. So yesterday, Richard, he pruned two of the trees, but he forgot the other one. Oh, love. Love covers a multitude of misses and failures and forgetfulness because you know I'm a bit so you know you've got to be gracious the you know my my daughter Sarah was um she's now 30 she's got her own kids living in Sydney she loved having a messy room she was it was a disaster it was just horrible and it caused me a lot of grief like it was something we would argue about fight about like clean your room clean your room clean your and I just became this nagging mum about this bedroom and um, eventually Richard told her that that mice would breed in there and that kind of helped that shifted things a little bit but in the middle I just decided it was more important that my daughter and I had a relationship than her room was tidy it was more important that we had a connection than I was always frustrated and yelling so eventually I just shut the bedroom door I was dying. I know, mums, you're dying. Clean your rooms, all right? This is not an excuse for anyone young in the room not to clean your room. But now she's the cleanest of clean freaks you've ever seen. Everything in her house is in order, in place, perfect. It, it blows my mind. So make room. Make room for each other. Is this helping someone in the room this morning? You know what? As they get older, we've got to make room for each other, for our children, our adult children, to have different opinions different views, that we might not all agree on everything. And that's love. Love with grace covers that. When we have differences, Psalm 133 verse 1 says, How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. And I really felt as I was preparing this message that 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 was going to be a word for some of you in in the room this morning, that God was just going to speak to you and say, just peace. Let peace reign in your home. Don't worry about all the stuff all the time. Husbands and wives, let some stuff go. Let love come with grace because winning an argument or a point is, in re- is irrelevant when the peace is gone. 
You can win, but really you lose. So peace is such a valuable commodity and we need to protect it and guard it. Love with boundaries. Oh, this is always a good one for parenting, isn't it? Pediatric doctors will tell you, we've got a quote for you. Pediatric doctors will tell you, fathers and mothers are pillars in the development of a child's emotional well-being. Children look to their fathers to lay down the rules and enforce them. They also look to their fathers to provide a feeling of security, both physical and emotional. Well, we know this. The Bible's already told us this. Research has recently worked it out. But the Bible, written thousands of years ago, has already told us this. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 12. For the Lord corrects those He loves, just as a father corrects a child who He delights in. When we love, when we really care, we will bring healthy boundaries. You know, I, I think kids are a bit like puppies. Am I allowed to say that? Is that like wrong? Is that in? Well, look, I really think kids are like puppies. I had a puppy who turned into a dog, but I called him a puppy the whole time because he was just so cute. You know, he, he wanted boundaries. He wanted to know, am I allowed on the bed? Am I not allowed on the bed? So for me, he wasn't allowed on the bed. That's, no, that's no good. He had, um, it was a King Charles Cavalier Spaniel. So he would shed hair. I don't want you on my bed. But if I came home and Richard, he loves preparing his messages on the bed. So I would come home and suddenly the dog would be leaping from the bedroom because he was in the bed, but not just on the bed, in. He'd worked out how to tuck himself under the sheets and the blankets and lay his head on my pillow. No! And you know what? Kids are the same. They know how to play family members off each other, how to play grandma, grandpa. Oh, grandma lets me eat lollies. Granddad lets me watch the wrong TV show. Dad lets me go with my friends. Mum makes me unpack the dishwasher. They know. They know who makes them do what and to play one another off each other. But you know what? You've got to stay together, mum and dad. You've got to be unified. Grandma, grandpa, you've got to support the parents. You've got to be a team because we're all in this together. Better parents get it wrong together. You both have a kid who eats too many lollies than the kid gets between you eating too many lollies. So work together. You're a team. It's important that you stick together. Love is empowering. Let's be intentional to teach kids, to teach our families about God and His ways. You know, just this week, we had a, I had dinner with a family, husband and wife, and um, they were telling us about their son. Their son's about um, late 20s, and he's been waiting for the right girl. He's in our church. He's been waiting for the right girl for about four years. He became a Christian. He's been praying, God, God, I need the right girl. I don't want to, you know, find myself in the wrong relationship. And he, he was getting a little bit like, come on, come on, God, where is she? And so he decided to fast. So he fasted a whole month and he'd really been um, pressing into God. And the last day of his fast, he meets this girl at church. He's like, wow, here she is. He thinks she's amazing looking. She's beautiful personality. They just hit it off like that. She's got some really unusual hobbies that are exactly his hobbies that the average guy might not think was a good idea. But, you know, she loved... Anyway, they just connect. It's like the perfect, it's like he's been, she's been brought from heaven in response to his prayer. 
And a few months later, now he's like, oh, actually, I'm not, I'm not sure. We've gone deeper. Our relationship's getting, um, we're, we're talking about more things. And he's starting to, he's thinking, okay, so is she the right girl? But he was feeling like she has to be the right girl because God brought her on the day that I finished fasting. So how could I reject this girl that God brought me? So the dad is telling us, and I love this because here he is with his mature son, a 20-something son, helping him understand the heart of God, the father heart of God. And he says, son, your father in heaven loves you. He's looking out for you. And yes, this girl came into your life at that time, but that doesn't mean she has to be the one. God's not going to hold you to ransom. Maybe this is part of you learning and growing. And so he's teaching his son, even at this age, mentoring him, helping him grow and mature in his faith so that his son can have a healthy, strong relationship. And it doesn't end, does it? So we're helping our kids as little ones. We're helping them as teenagers. Dads, you're helping them as young adults. We're helping them as businessmen and people in their careers when they're raising kids. And, you know, great-grandparents, great-great-grandparents. We never stop empowering our kids in understanding the things of God. You know, Deuteronomy 6, 7 says, Repeat them, God's laws, again and again to your children. Talk about them when you're at home and when you're on the road. When you're going to bed, on your iPhone, when you're getting up, when you're reading your paper. Talk to your kids. Talk to your kids about the things of God. You know, it's not the kids' ministry's job to raise your kids to be godly. It's a bonus. It's the cream on top, the cherry, the bonus. It's at home that it happens. The youth ministry is a bonus for our kids. It's an opportunity to bring our friends in. But we've got to make it interesting. No kid wants to hear their parent Bible bash. I don't want to hear. Does anyone want to? No, make it interesting, make it fun. So we used to have family night. Friday night was family night and we'd have pizza or a movie. But within that month, we would do a couple of weeks where we'd try to teach them something about the Bible, but in a fun way. So this one particular night, Richard came home and he prepared for family night. So we wanted to teach the kids that the way to get to our Heavenly Father was through Jesus. That Jesus had come and died for us so that we could know, so our sin didn't get in the way, so we could know God personally. Jesus had come for us. So this was the the message, the theme underneath our special family night. So what we did was we have a swing in the middle of our carport that the kids would play on and have a great time with. And so we put flour, he put cooking flour all over the carport. Yes, it was a big mess to clean up. But so we covered it with flour and then we said to the kids, okay, everybody come out. So the swing in the middle is God and the flour on the ground is sin. You need to get to God but you can't get there with the flower on your feet. You have to find a way to get there without getting in the flower. They're like, oh, okay. So hmm, Sarah's, you know, getting a bit frustrated. She wanted to quickly fix it. Mark's trying to work out what we could do. Stephanie's analysing the maths and the dimensions of the floor. And, um, and then Mark spots this little, this little bit underneath, this little, like little rough bit. He's like, oh, what's that? What's that? And he could reach it. And it was some masking tape on the ground. So he starts to peel this masking tape up. He's like, oh, look, there's a pathway without any flower. So he jumps onto it. And when he gets there, he's like, oh, there's more, there's more. So he pulls it all the way up. And there's a cross 
in the middle of this flower that meant they could all get to the swing. So we're like, wow, look at that. The cross of Jesus has made a way through our sins so we can get to the Father. And my daughter Sarah goes, stupid cross, stupid cross. We're like, no, Sarah, no, this is supposed to help you love the cross. Oh my gosh, what a disaster. But you've got to make it fun. Because, you know what, that's one of the most important things we can do is help our family know and love God. And I want to show you an amazing dad in Scripture and his encounter with love. You know, I've given you a couple of really practical things this morning, but I want to just take you right into the Scripture and show you an amazing dad. And I'm going to take you on a little bit of a journey. So go with me, stay with me. But I know that you're going to be impacted. So Paul writes to the church in Rome. The Apostle Paul, he wrote most of the New Testament and he writes this letter to the church in Rome. And this is what we call the book of Romans. And in the final chapter of this book, he sends greetings to men and women who are leaders of the Roman church. Now, I've got it up here on the the Scripture for you. It's quite a long section. I'm not going to read it in detail. I just want to catch a couple of thoughts here. So he's writing to these leaders who are fantastic, who he loves. He talks about Phoebe, who is a deacon in the church. He talks about Priscilla and Aquila, my co-workers in Christ Jesus, about Epenentus, the first convert, the first guy who got saved in the church in Rome. Wow, how exciting. He mentions Mary. She's a really hard worker. He mentions Andronicus and Junia, his fellow Jews who went to prison. These guys went to prison for the gospel and they'd been in prison with him. He mentions Ampliatus, his friend. And then John verse 13, he mentions Rufus. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord and his mother, who has been a mother to me. I want to hone in on this guy, Rufus. Paul highlights that he was a man that God chose. He stands out. Now, when you actually take the time to read the whole list, which I don't want to take the time for today, he actually describes the 20-odd people in what they had done. He talks about their activity. He talks about them working hard. He talks about them loving people, helping people. He talks about them living holy, receiving Jesus. He talks about the stuff they've done. But when he describes Rufus, he actually describes him completely differently. He talks about him as someone God chose. He didn't do anything. This guy, God chose. So who? Who's Rufus? Well, Rufus and his mother, from this scripture, we understand they were part of this new baby church in Rome. They were right in there. They're so involved that Paul mentions them in his thank yous. And Paul is writing this letter around 57 AD. About 15 years after Paul has written this letter, Mark writes the gospel of Mark to this same group of people. The the book of Mark is written to the Roman people. So the Bible, it's got all the books in order. If you're a new Christian or you're here for the first time, maybe you've never even opened the Bible. You can think it's a normal book that starts at the beginning and ends at the end. But it's actually a compilation of different books that he's been put together. Books, letters, history, and it's not actually in chronological order. So we've got the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, which are the accounts of Jesus. And then we've got the letters that Paul has written. So even though Mark is before Romans in the Bible, it was written afterwards. So Mark is writing this book 
to the the same group of people. The book of Acts tells us that Mark and Paul had travelled together on their missionary journeys. And so from that, we know that Mark knew this guy, Rufus. Mark would have had connection with him. Paul describes him, the mother, as, as being so close that it was like his mother. So they obviously had a lot to do with this particular family. So you're like, okay, Helen, where are you going? Come on, where are you taking us? So in the Gospel of Mark, we find this guy, Rufus. Mark puts Rufus into the gospel to help the Roman reader have context. It's like, you know, my mum, when I ring her, she's 83. She's a darling. She's a chatterbox. And I haven't lived in her city for 30 years. And so when I ring her, she'll want to tell me the stories about all of her friends and what everyone's done. Anyone with me, anyone hearing this from their mum? Sorry if you're older in the room, you like to tell us the same stories over and over. We're all right, we're gracious. Anyway, so she tells me, she always says, okay, so you know Mrs. Jones. Yes, Mum, I remember Mrs. Jones. I saw her 35 years ago. Well, Mrs. Jones' daughter's sister's brother died. We had her funeral today. I'm like, oh, okay. But my mum always puts me in the context of somebody I know so I know where everybody fits. And this is exactly what Mark does for the Romans. He's like, Guys, you know this guy. That's why I'm talking about him. So you understand the power of this story. So Mark mentions Rufus and they're like, yeah, yeah, I know him. So let's read where we find Rufus in the book of Mark. Mark chapter 15, verse 21 to 22. A certain man from Cyrene, Simon, the father of Alexander and Rufus, was passing by on his way in from the country And they forced him to carry the cross. They brought Jesus to the place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. So most of us know the story of Jesus. Some of you may not, but Jesus is dragging his cross up the hill. He's been beaten, he's been bashed, he's got a crown of thorns on his head and he's so weak that he's falling and dropping the cross and the Roman soldiers grab this random person out of the crowd and demand that he carries Jesus, a criminal. Why else Why else would a man be carrying a cross up a hill unless he's a criminal? Like for, for this man, Simon, to see him, he's like, why do I have to carry a, a criminal's cross? But he has no choice. So he, this random guy from the crowd suddenly is dragging this cross up a hill. I imagine that at that moment, he is so resentful. Can you imagine what that would feel like? Why? Why me? I'm just here with my kids. I'm just coming through town. I'm just walking to... Why me? But he had no choice. And he takes the cross all the way to the place where Jesus is crucified. And I wonder, did Jesus talk to Simon? Imagine, imagine Simon watching Jesus be crucified, this guy whose cross he's just carried. Imagine him hearing the crowd, crucify him, crucify him. He says he's the king of the Jews. He says he's, he's, we don't like him. Kill him, kill him. He's thinking, wow, who is this guy? He's caused a lot of controversy. What about the days ahead? As Simon is hearing the rumours in the city, if I put myself in his shoes... Wouldn't you be curious about who this guy is whose cross you've had to carry? Wouldn't you wonder? I wonder if he even spoke to Mary. 
when Jesus is there and Mary's crying and weeping and the disciple John is there, did he talk to them? Did they say to him, thank you. Thank you so much for helping my son. What did this man see and experience? Did he hear the rumours? Did he stay in town for a few days? It says he was travelling through, maybe on his way back from wherever he was going, he travelled back through. Maybe he heard rumours of the resurrection, that in the upper room, the disciples had been filled with the Holy Spirit, that there was chaos going on in Jerusalem because of this man Jesus whose cross he'd carried. This is the experience of this man, Simon. But this random guy in the crowd was so transformed by an encounter with Jesus that he and his family became followers of Christ and was so integral in the early church. Simon and his wife and his son Rufus became significant leaders in the Roman church. The son of the man who carried Jesus' cross is the man we then hear about. That dad had an encounter with Jesus that day. He met love in person. And what a fantastic example to his family, to Alexander and to Rufus. Rufus becomes a grown man in the church in Rome as a leader. And the most powerful thing, you know what, for any of us, is to have an encounter with Jesus. Proverbs 14, 26 says this, Whoever fears the Lord has a secure fortress for their children, and for their children it will be a refuge. When we have an encounter with God, it creates a refuge for our children. When we know the power and the love of Jesus, it blesses our families and those around us. And you know what? I need an encounter with Jesus every day. I need a fresh understanding of His love and who He is. I can't do all these other great things without the love of Jesus for myself. Otherwise, we're just trying and striving. You know, we can read all the books we want to read. We can, you know, have a plan. We can go to workshops, but without the love of God in our own hearts, it's just plain hard work. And I love the testimony my own children have given us is mum and dad, thank you that you were Christians at home, the same you were Christians at church. Thank you that we saw the same people, that you made your faith real and tangible. So the most important thing I think any of us can do is to have an encounter with Jesus that is real, that wasn't 20 years ago, that wasn't 50 years ago, that wasn't five weeks ago, that wasn't last Sunday, that wasn't yesterday, but is today. That today we would have a fresh encounter with Jesus. Whether you're a dad or you're not, for your work's sake, for your community's sake, for your friend's sake, for every relationship around you, we need to be transformed by Jesus. By Jesus' power, by His love, by His forgiveness. We can't really, I don't think, truly love unless we've experienced His love first. How can we show grace when we haven't experienced His grace? How can we let others get away with what they shouldn't get away with when when we haven't experienced getting away with what we shouldn't have got away with? You know, Paul, who wrote the book of Romans, then also wrote the book of Ephesians. And I love this Scripture because I just think it, it encapsulates what I'm saying so well. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 16. I think you've got it on the screen. 
I pray that out of His glorious riches, Jesus' glorious riches, He may strengthen you with power through His Spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that being rooted and established in love, you may have power together with all of the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know that this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Filled to the measure of all the fullness, filled to the measure. You know, God's love is wide, deep. It's not something we grasp or understand in just a moment. It's something we need to encounter afresh and afresh and afresh. And I don't know about you, but I need a fresh encounter of Jesus' love today. I'd like... When I, when I think about that man, Simon, carrying Jesus' cross, and then I see the fruit in his own family, what happened to him? Let's be people like that, that let Jesus do something with us. Turn our lives upside down, that it impacts our children, our grandchildren, our friends. Let's let Him shake us up. Let's let Him turn some things around. You know, maybe you don't even know Jesus. Maybe you're in the room and you're like, oh, I've never personally had an encounter with Jesus. I didn't even know that He could, could make a way, washes away all our sins. John 3:16, a beautiful Christian verse, a verse that we, that we all love. For God so loved the world that He gave His Son Jesus, so that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have eternal life. We just got to receive Jesus. Whoever receives Jesus experiences eternal life. The most important thing is that you, that you get to know Jesus. He wants to love you. He wants to bring hope. He wants to bring grace. He wants to help you be a great dad, a great friend. And if that's you, that verse says, For God so loved the world that He gave Jesus. But you know what? That world includes you. God loves you and He's waiting. His love doesn't start when you say yes. His love is already there for you. He just wants you to receive it. Thank you so much for tuning in to that amazing message from our team here at Lifehouse Church in Adelaide. To find out more or to submit a prayer request or connect with us as a church, simply head to lifehouse.global. God bless.